This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Real ways to help Americans get safely to Kabul airport and get out of the country. But... The reality is this is the Taliban, no matter what they're saying, you know, about changing their ways and they're going to allow Afghans to live safely and they're going to allow women with more rights. Whatever it is they're saying, we're going to have to see how they actually what they actually do. And they're, the defense officials who I'm speaking to do not have a lot of confidence that they have changed their ways. And this is going to be some new version of the Taliban. But right now, we're, one reason that we're not hearing a lot of criticism for them, and we probably won't hear any criticism of the Taliban for specifically from the Defense Department uh, before the U.S. is completely out. And that is because they are helping them and they don't the, the, the military, the Pentagon, they don't want to do anything to tip that balance so that the Taliban would no longer help Americans. You know, as Jeff mentioned, there are still a lot of Americans who are trying to get out. And, and the U.S. is also trying to help Afghans, if they can, to get out. So uh, in the meantime, they are working with the Taliban and hope that it can At the end of the risk. day, some credence is going to have to be given to the Taliban to make sure that they protect our, our troops. Uh, what's been demonstrated today is that they can't do it. Uh, they're certainly not going to be able to guarantee safety. Now, the Taliban would surely like to have us out as quickly as possible. Uh, they also need money. Uh, there's an argument, and we would like to have a little bit more time to make sure that we get as many people out as we possibly can. There's an argument that says that there is a deal here for, like Andrea says, maybe an extension of a couple of days to make sure that we get as many people out as we possibly can. Um, and the exchange is uh, the Taliban get some of the money or all the money right. that's currently locked up and is sequestered by 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 Western uh, financial institutions. Whether or not that's actually going to happen remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, some Americans got to turn the lights out on the yeah. American presence there. And that's going to be the most dangerous. <sighs> time. I know it sounds like though we're having to pay a ransom to the Taliban. Right. I mean, that that's what that sounds like. And and and. It's an uncomfortable position for any American president. Is, 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 no well, matter, I think we've already, no matter what we've you're already trying to paid do here. a ransom to them. Yeah. We've already paid a ransom to them in agreeing that 31 August is the date. Right. Uh, they will give us safe patches until 31 August, and that was the deal as originally I think started. the dangerous part of this is, is, just like Colonel Jacobs was saying, is as we get a smaller footprint, the attack pattern gets more intense. And what we're seeing right now is Kabul is the equivalent of a Mogadishu or a Baghdad uh, circa kind of 2004, where, mm -hmm. yeah, the Taliban have so-called taken over the country, but they do not control the country. There are tons of different factions operating in and outside of Kabul right now. We're in constant contact with the Taliban, working to ensure civilians have safe passage to the airport. We are particularly focused on our engagements on making sure every American who wants to leave can get to the airport where we have been seeing challenges with Americans for, for Americans, we have thus far been able to resolve them. We've been able, we've made, look, 
And we, we, we made clear to the Taliban that any attack, any attack on our forces or disruption of our operations at the airport will be met with swift and forceful response. We're also keeping a close watch on any potential terrorist threat at or around the airport, including from the ISIS affiliates in Afghanistan who were released from prison when the prisons were empty. And because they are, by the way, and make everybody understand that the, the ISIS in Afghanistan are the, have been the sworn enemy of the Taliban. I've said all along, we're going to retain a laser focus on our counterterrorism mission, working in close coordination with our allies and our partners, and all those who have an interest in ensuring stability in the region. Okay, uh, look, at, we're here to commemorate, for much of the show, the uh, 13 American heroes that died at the Abbey Gate Massacre. We do want to tee it up with that, the lies and misrepresentations. I've, I've got uh, Jason Jones, who's been did incredible work in Afghanistan at the time, and also has been part of the uh, Vulnerable Persons Project to support uh, Christian families in Afghanistan since then. I've also got Frank Gaffney going to go through all this, and Frank's going to give us some of his uh, first thoughts on this horrific, uh, the affidavit, this joke that was put out today about the ransacking and raid in Mar-a-Lago. Let's go to Jason Jones first. Jason, thank you for joining us by phone. Really appreciate it. I talked to you. We just played it right there so you and Frank could refresh your memories of the lies and misrepresentations, the incompetence. Uh, and I mean, almost people, some people argued, hey, they almost had to be in cahoots with the CCP and the Taliban because this was so horrific. It's a year ago today that the 13 heroes died. We just played all the tee up for that of, of how they jammed these guys up by agreeing to the 31st. And, and, and they had this kind of cocky arrogance. It was all going to go fine. Jason Jones, tell us about that time. Uh, you were there. You were on the show all the time. You had direct contact with it in Afghanistan and helping people get out. What happened? Well, Steve, first of all, you know, the Vulnerable People Project is still in Afghanistan. We, we evacuated people this week. We have never left. We're caring for the widows and orphans of our of our, of our Afghan partners who, who were murdered because of our ham-fisted abandonment of the people of Afghanistan. Um, so we haven't left, and the U.S. government turned the lights out in Afghanistan, but we're keeping the light on. You know, listening to that clip that you just played is infuriating, especially in light of what we've just been revealed in the past 24 hours, that the CIA had eyes on the terrorists. Uh, that detonated the bomb that killed 12 Marines and a Navy corpsman. 170 Afghans were killed and thousands were injured. And as you know, I was on your show then, and thank God for Steve Bannon and the War Room Posse. I was on your show at the time showing footage of the hell that was outside of the uh, gates of the airport. But now we know the CIA had eyes on them, told the Marines to stand down just to pay attention, but not to engage um, the terrorists who then detonated a bomb and killed uh, those 13 American service personnel. No, it's it's really unbelievable. Hey, hey, J J Jason, 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 hang on, hang on, slow down for a second. I want that story broke in the New York Post today. Just get people up to speed on exactly what you're talking about, because this is another blockbuster. And clearly, they waited until the first year anniversary to break this story. But we now know, if you see this, what we just played, understand the CIA knew about it, debriefed people, and said that the the gates to the airport, particularly the Abbey Gate wasn't going to be a central problem. Is this, am I summing up correctly what the CIA briefing was to the, to the military intelligence and to the military folks? Yeah, that was the briefing and not to engage the terrorists. And Steve, I was a bit nervous because I've been saying in the media that we were warned on 
August 25th to remove our people from Abbey Gate that there is a terrorist attack. It's eminent. And I, I you know, I yep. was, didn't want to say that out loud because how did you know? We were warned from our people in the military, get your folks away from Abbey Gate uh, in the hours leading up to the attack. And now we know the CIA had eyes on the actual terrorists that detonated this bomb. And I wonder, you know, Biden says that thing. I've always been this. I've always been that. I've always said this. He said on July 6th of last year that Afghanistan will never fall. But we now know, we now know that U.S. Special Forces were doing joint patrols with the Taliban in early of July of last year. We now know, uh, well, we knew then, we knew in early July of last year that 85% of Afghanistan, 85% of the districts had already fallen to the Taliban. So when Biden said that in early July, he knew. So what happened? American citizens in Afghanistan didn't leave the country. And we were evacuating U.S. citizens until Christmas of last year that the U.S. government claimed it did not exist. And we got our last Afghan, uh, an Ameri- we got our last American citizen out of Afghanistan around Christmas of last year. So how many American citizens died because they listened to the president of the United States, they trusted the president of the United mm-hmm. States that Afghanistan wouldn't fall when 85% of the districts had already fallen. And uh, Jason, hang on for one second. I know. Hang hang, hang on. I know you by phone. Just hang on for a second. I want to bring you Frank Gaffney for more context. We're going to come right back to you, Frank. I know your blood's boiling because you you of all the specialists in in radical jihad, which you've kind of dedicated the last 30 years of your life on. I know your blood has to be boiling when we play that cold open of all the lies and misrepresentations were told to the American people. But particularly now, as Jason says. It's obvious the CIA knew about the, the, the groups they were monitoring. The military, was debr- it was a brief not to, not to really play hardball at those gates. And what we have, we have 13 dead Marines, American heroes that died in that massacre. Frank Gaffney. The thing that does make the blood boil, uh, Stephen, you're right, mine is, uh, is that the way this is perceived by all of our enemies, but most especially by those that are Sharia supremacists, is as submission. Whether it's the lies of the president, or whether it is the complicity of uh, our intelligence agencies, or whether it is the extent to which, in the aftermath of uh, you know the kind of horrors that you've just chronicled, we left $83 billion of military equipment, very advanced military equipment, a lot of it behind, uh, and and that we're now contemplating apparently giving them billions of dollars more. Uh, they're frozen reserves to be sure, but still to terrorists, terrorists who now make no secret of their further intensified determination to do what Sharia, the, the Islamic doctrine that impels them to engage in jihad, Tells them it is the ultimate endgame of it, which is their dominance of the world. That's what I want to. This, because people say this shows incompetence, this shows weakness, this shows, you know, all sorts of things about how they extracted, how, how they did this extraction under fire. You take it up another level. You say for the supremacists, the Sharia supremacists, it shows you that we're actually not just weak, but prepared to submit to their uh to their order which is essentially what happened on this extraction am i am i stating that correctly 
Hey, you got it exactly right, Steve. And and uh, in accordance with Sharia, that kind of behavior on the part, particularly of the infidels, and especially powerful infidels, simply again obliges those who adhere to this doctrine to redouble their efforts. So uh, I had a chance to talk with our colleague Sam Faddis about this today, and he, of course, spent uh, much of his 20 years undercover in the Central Intelligence Agency fighting these guys, uh, mostly in Pakistan. And he says, this is now a terrorist superstate that is armed, that is that is financed. Uh, it, it has money, to be sure. It's not getting to the people. They're starving and all the rest of it. But these are people who are now further disposed, further determined, further capable of waging jihad against us. And the worst of it, in a way, is it's not just over there, Steve, as I think we talked about a bit yesterday. By some estimates, there are a very large percentage of between 70 and 100,000 people who have been put into this country instead of the fellas and, and gals that Jason was trying to help and who were supposed to be on those planes, who we don't know the exact background of, but many yes, of them, exactly. the majority are military no age young men and probably Taliban. No voting. Uh, Frank, and hang on for one they're second. Let me bring in Jason. So later. Jason, I, I'm going to get you back on to talk about the Vulnerable People Project at another time. But but I got to have you tell the audience. People, authorities in this government at the highest level looked into the camera and said we have on multiple occasions said we have all the Americans out. And you just told me that uh, you guys were still extracting American citizens all the way up to Christmas, which was three or four months later. So what's the truth? Yeah. The, 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 the Biden regime. Do what they said they were going to do and promise the American people were all the American citizens out or were there still American citizens left? Well, CIA Director Burns, I think it's being reported in the press, but I know from trusted sources, uh, it's been pressuring the White House to make right. We have 18,000 SIVs in the pipeline that State Department is fighting for that we know of. But there are 150,000 other SIVs. Those are Afghans who are being hunted by the Taliban because they fought shoulder to shoulder with us. Those are the Afghans who you saw hanging from lampposts. You heard about being set on fire and beheaded. No, they lied about Americans. They lied about our Afghan partners. Our brothers, you and I are veterans, Steve. You know, as an infantryman, as a ranger, our, the ranger creed is never will I abandon, never will I leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, and never under any circumstances will I embarrass my country. Uh, well, Biden embarrassed us. He abandoned our cohorts. He abandoned American citizens. Most of those American citizens were Afghans who earned their citizenship through blood, through fighting the most vicious terrorists in the world. One of the Americans that we rescued was walked to the airport 15 times, 15 times sent back. And the Taliban, each time he had to walk through multiple checkpoints and was asked by he had to show his American passport. And this was the guy that took us till almost Christmas to get back home. He's a business owner in San Diego. He was there to try to get his wife's visa process faster when the country fell around him and was walked to his death. Every veterans organization, every organization like mine that was working to rescue Afghans was asked by the State Department to submit our Excel files to them. We did that. This has been reported. They took our data that, that I personally put in hundreds and hundreds of names, and that was all handed over 
to the Taliban. And we know that at best, 10% of the folks on those lists made it out of the country. How many of them were executed? How many widows and orphans did the Biden administration create? So there is no doubt that Biden lied. He wasn't mistaken. He lied every single step of the way. And those lies cost countless lives. Those lies cost countless lives. And to, I want to go back to Frank's point about the wrong people coming here. Governor Salima Mazari was in BBC's Top Women of the Year in 2021, the first female governor uh, of the Hazara people. She personally killed over 200 Taliban as a sniper. She was an anti-Taliban commander, has been trying to kick down the door of the FBI. I know they're watching your show, uh, so I'm hoping they go talk to her. She saw Haqqani Network and Taliban on her plane. She knew who they were. They were on the plane. She went on the plane and challenged them, why are you going to America? And they said to spread jihad. And and it breaks my heart because not only are they going to hurt our countrymen, but then what's going to happen is we're going to seal the door and weld it shut to those Afghans that earned the right to be Americans and their children to earn the right um, to be in this country. And they've been abandoned, and they brought in very bad people here. They brought in some of the good people. They brought in some of the heroes. They brought in some of our friends. But they let in enemies of the Afghan people and enemies of the American people. Uh, Jason, how do, uh, how do they get to you on the Vulnerable People's Project? People want to find out more about it or maybe want to donate. Where do they go for information? Uh, thank you, Steve. Our website is thegreatcampaign.org. TheGreatCampaign.org. We're caring for the widows and orphans of those Afghans who died fighting the Taliban and ISIS. We uh, and we're evacuating and rescuing and resettling Afghans every single week. We have never stopped, and we will not stop until every Afghan ally is safe. And we're resettling them in countries all over the world, and we will never leave them. The Great. By the way, uh, Jason Jones does not. Jason Jones does not get a. Enough shout-outs uh, for Christians in the toughest places in the world and persecution. Jason Jones and his organization are there to help him out. So, Jason, thank you. Very honored to have you on the show today. Thank you, uh, Steve, for sharing your, your, your posse with us. And they're the hope of a country and you're the hope of the world. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Uh, Frank, uh, Before here's what I don't get, Frank. You just hear that from Jason Jones about the woman who was one of the commanders, the anti Taliban commanders. She's on a plane. She's pointing out these are Haqqani network. There's not a worse group in the world than the Haqqani network to our allies in India and other places. She's pointing out, and this is what Sam Fad has fought his entire life. She's pointing out guys in the plane on the Haqqani network that we're bringing to the United States. And yet the FBI can't sort this out. The, the State Department and CIA can't sort this out. Yet today, you see, they just kick down the doors at Mar-a-Lago and they ransack and raid a place and won't. And the, the Justice Department doesn't even have the guts to put forward what the affidavit was. And obviously it goes back to cross. This is all going to go back to crossfire hurricane. So, Frank, you've dedicated your life uh, as a professional at the Defense Department in, in other places. I mean, h- how does this feel to you today on the anniversary to know of how many jihadists we let in the country when they were warned by people that had fought with us, and you see what's happened today uh, down at this federal courthouse in uh, in Palm Beach about this in, in, uh, this ransacking of Mar-a-Lago, sir. Well, just to pick up on the first point, um, I've met this governor 
she's a very impressive woman. I mean, she was she was teaching women to fight the Taliban and did a lot of it herself, as uh, Jason has said. But the interesting thing is, it wasn't just she saw Taliban and Haqqani on the plane. She saw them all over the staging bases from which they were then moved into the United States, even larger numbers than that particular plane full. She is terrified that these people are here and are going to do exactly what they told her they were going to do, which is wage jihad. And the trouble is, of course, they're not the only ones. Uh, you doc document every single day the numbers that are coming across our border. Uh, again, people, we have no idea who they are, but we have reason to believe, especially that huge cohort of military age unaccompanied men are coming here to do us harm. And, and you ask about the FBI, Steve, before we get to Mar-a-Lago, the FBI has done, as best I can tell, nothing, nada, zero to prevent these kinds of people, whether they're Haqqani or Taliban or jihadists of other stripes, or for that matter, Chinese, or just drug cartels from disseminating themselves all over America. Now, at some point, somebody's going to tell them to light this place up. And we have no idea. Remember what 19 people did. 19 Sharia supremacists did on 9-11. We're talking about tens of thousands of people, maybe more, maybe considerably more. What could they do to our country from within, to say nothing from without? And, and as to the Mar-a-Lago business, I, I have to tell you, as I, I looked at that affidavit and the black redactions for page after page after page, and it made me want to vomit. I have to tell you, this, this is evidence of a rot inside our country that has uh, now so thoroughly penetrated the uh, power ministries, as they would be called in totalitarian regimes, the, the law enforcement, federal bureaucracy, as well as leadership, I'm afraid, of the FBI, the Justice Department, the intelligence community, the Department of Homeland Security, the U.S. military, the IRS. I, I mean, look, we are in perilous straits, and the evidence is just going to continue to accumulate, I pray to God we have a chance to change the trajectory of this country this coming election. But I'm not sanguine. I must tell you that there will be an election, given what these guys are doing and the lengths to which they're going to suppress us and to keep their trajectory of fundamentally transforming this country into something unrecognizable and horrifying to people who love our Constitution and their freedoms. Frank, can you give your uh, your coordinates right now? We're going to do a special, we go out, we're going to do a special uh, homage to the 13 heroes. What, what, how do people uh, track you down for your shows and your writings? Uh, we've got several. Um, Securefreedom.org is our website at the Center for Security Policy. PresentDangerChina.org is the website of our Committee on the Present Danger of China. Um, CCPAtWar.com is a really important one as well for our book about the biological warfare yeah. attack against our country by the Chinese Communist Party and securing 
america.tv is the one we use for this program, Securing America. Frank, for somebody who's dedicated their life to this, security of this country, and particularly fight against global jihad, um, couldn't think of a better guide to help us commemorate. We're going to go out with a portrait of the 13 American heroes who gave their lives one year ago today at the Abbey Gate Massacre in Kabul Airport, Kabul, Afghanistan. We'll be back in a moment. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash war room to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. 
It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Uh, This is our commemoration of the one-year anniversary of the 13 heroes who gave their life for their country at the Abbey Gate in Kabul Airport. Uh, But also another travesty today, really another humiliation on the world stage. In uh, a, a federal court, the magistrate released, I don't even know what you would call it. It was so embarrassing, this redacted version. I want to bring in Pete Hernandez He's running for Congress out in California, 18. He wrote an incredible piece about the weaponization of DOJ and the FBI. Pete, <laughs> walk me through what your you wrote this great piece. We were going to have you on. And then we see this thing put out today, which is just a farce. I mean, on the world stage, on the anniversary of her humiliation in Afghanistan, you heard Frank Gaffney says the, the, the Sharia supremacists look like, you know, the United States is submitting. Then we're supposed to be run by the rule of law. And you saw this redacted version. I don't even know why the magistrate put it out. I, I have no idea why he released this. Pete Hernandez. Thank you, Steve, for having me. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, to the war room posse. So it's an it's it's an insult to the intelligence of the of the of the public. And I think they're very much dependent on, on uh, the disengagement and uh, the lack of understanding of our constitutional authority. It's very much anti the rule of law. People don't realize you break up the rule of law, you destroy ultimately that trust, that main fiber that unifies our nation. If you don't have equality under the law, then all you're doing is intending on dividing our nation. And that's what's happening today. Pete, people ask me the question all the time, you know, uh, because I spent many years in California, absolutely love California, but it's changed so radically. 
is there are folks in California are are they dialing into this type of news that do, do they understand these intense battles are going on politically uh back in Washington DC and in federal courts down in places like Palm Beach and even even this populist revolt you've seen in Arizona led by Blake Masters and, and Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham are folks in California attuned to this do they understand what's going on in the stakes of that you know the republic's in the balance they're they're definitely understanding that the republic is in a balance it it, they don't understand necessarily the why right there's there's a lack of understanding of how these processes happen but they definitely see the division they see the breakdown of our communities and they just see the, the the conflicting information that comes across and ultimately creates a disengaged sentiment but I would say that frustration is definitely pushing them in direction to pay attention to a candidate like me, whose goal is to educate, to engage, and ultimately to revive the populist movement and restore ultimately the the constitutional order of our of our country. So we talk about the populist movement, we talk about the constitutional order. You're saying you're running for Congress to do this. What the rest of the nation sees is is Gavin Newsom has a very different philosophy of government than MAGA. You know, Biden was there yesterday saying we're nothing but fascist. This is the uh, the end of the Republican Party because you have the worst elements that, you know, the MAGA and ultra MAGA have taken over the Republican Party. Yet you have Gavin Newsom every day coming out with another policy decision. And he's clearly running and tw- he's already running for, in 2024 to be the Democratic nominee. Is, is, is there a real shot for the populist movement is a real shot for MAGA and the Republican Party to really stand up and make a stand against Gavin Newsom. American first policies are extremely popular at the local level. All it means is local control. It means we actually have, uh, you know, autonomy and discretion and decision making. And then we actually have a voice. I would say with the, the foolishness of the Gavin Newsom's of the world are the ones that are they're basically assuming that the public is, is going to be OK with the breakdown of our local communities. And uh, they they pretty much uh, pull, put out policies that, again, create disengagement. But that, by default, is creating just this sentiment to understand. I'm seeing it at the local level. There's CRAs being established, local organizations that are saying, what do we do about it? There's the Parents Movement. I was just endorsed by the uh, California Parents United. And I would say the strongest reality is the sounding board that the Gavin Newsom's of the world depend on is silent, right? They'd rather have silence or frustration and disengagement. So that way you don't have that movement start to unify and grow. But the, the opposite is happening. Uh, and it's funny because even if I reflect a little bit on the time when I challenged our local public health officer as a local leader, county supervisor, the intent wasn't so much to convince my Democrat majority board. It was to actually get the public engaged in the conversation. So I challenged the guy, ultimately used my constitutional authority, told him I hold the power of the purse. At the end of my statement, I basically said, if you're not willing to work with us, I'm willing to use the power of the purse to ask my board to terminate your contract. He obviously didn't like what I had to say. Two hours later, he quit. So all I did is use my voice, use the authority that that God gave me in the Constitution. And again, it it changed the dynamic. Granted, I got pushback, but I expected that. The the outcome that I wanted was the, the public movement to start, the populist movement to start to engage. And that's exactly what's happening. Take a minute and tell us about this race. Tell us about California 18. Tell us about your shot to win this, because we need guys like you. We Now more than ever, we need fighters like you in Congress. So California, Congressional District 18, brand new district. There's no incumbent. I want to stress that, right? My opponent, Zoe Lofton, she's on the January 6th committee, 
everything south of Gilroy, she doesn't know because the current district is going to expire at the end of the year. So if you look at the new portion of the district, it's Latino, majority Latino, it's rural, it's agricultural, it's middle class. I'm a small business owner alongside a local county supervisor. So I already have that understanding of our region. I, I'm, I'm younger, I'm hungrier, I'm obviously ready to work. She doesn't have that energy. There's a huge opportunity. As I talk to the Latino community, including the Democrat, which I'm, I'm literally diving right in the middle of it. And uh, that sentiment is getting very exciting to them because they're starting to see a person that's ready to bring them into the fold and they're ready to turn. So Congressional District 18, large span, it's gonna, basically there's a huge opportunity for us to take this back. We gotta win this one and you're the guy to do it. Uh, uh, brother, give us your social media and also your website so people can find out more about you if they're so inclined to support you. I'd appreciate the support. We need we need money. We definitely need to to get ahead of the two million dollars that she already started with, which isn't a lot, I guess, in California. But yeah, HernandezForCongress.com. Uh, that's my website. All everything's linked to that page, so it'll be very easy to get a hold of me there. We have our media, our social media is connected to it. HernandezForCongress.com is an easy way to get a hold of me. Thank you, brother. You keep fighting. We look forward to checking back in on the race in a couple of weeks. Will do. Please do. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for the time. There's 100 seats, 100 years. These are the seats we need. And I got to tell you, we got we to gotta thwart uh, Newsom in California. Now, can we play the uh, can we play the Steve Cortez, Steve Bannon cold open right now for uh, for uh, Dave Walsh and Dave Brett? Steve, here's why I, I can't unfortunately concur with their optimism. And Wall Street is still extremely optimistic. But so much of that demand was based on rock bottom interest rates, particularly housing. Housing really has led the charge of the recovery in the United States since last spring. But housing is going to have a very hard time with interest rates moving up as violently as they have been. And I'm sure a lot of the audience out there, even if they watch financial markets, they probably don't watch bonds. Bonds are considered boring and complicated. But I would say to the audience, you know, you may not care about bonds. Bonds, but bonds care about you. Uh, they matter tre yep. tremendously to your life. And I, I provided a chart which shows what has happened in bond yield to bond yields since Joe Biden was elected. Uh, right after the election on November 3rd, bond yields uh, bottomed 10-year Treasury yields, bottomed at about 0.7%. Incredibly low, of course, by historical standards. Uh, they have they had more than doubled through yesterday. They hit a high of 1.6% yesterday. Uh, that is a massive increase for 10-year year treasury rates to more than wow. double uh, in a period of months and in a very violent fashion. And here's why I believe this is happening, Steve. And again, I'm very counter Wall Street on this. I really believe if rates were to rise slowly and steadily, that would be a good thing. That would mean the bond market believes in growth in the United States and prices can rise. When it rises in this fashion, in this violent way, I believe what's going on is there is a bond market revolt right now. And what the, what the bond market, think of the bond market almost as a bank. And the bank is lending to the United States. And the United States is the business. And they, are, they have for years said we're willing to lend to this business. The reason, reason I wanted to play this is that this is from 18 months ago today. On 26 February, the year of our Lord 2021, Steve Cortez and myself walked through in the first weeks of the Biden, illegitimate Biden regime exactly why their policies were going to cause an explosion on, wait for it, inflation. This was a called shot by this show, and we've been on it ever since 18 months ago today. And it's a disgrace. And finally, Powell stood up today. Well, I'll let Dave Brad talk it. He was much more hawkish than, than he was. But I want to go to Dave Walsh first. Dave, you heard 
uh, from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, Pal come out and be quite uh, quite uh, hawkish. In fact, he used the V word, Volker. We'll play that clip. Hopefully, we'll have time for it. Is your sense that this administration, this regime is doing anything to get to the core problem of inflation or just depending on uh, the monetary part by the Fed? Are they getting to the heart of our problem? We have an energy crisis in the UK today, brother. They've basically admitted what you said on the show a couple of days ago, because Nigel Farage uh, was talking about it the other night, right, on his show, picked up on yours. And they said, hey, energy costs are going to go up 80 percent. It's going to be the end of the Tory party. Is anybody in the Biden regime trying to implement any policies that take care of the energy crisis in the United States of America, which is the beating heart of the inflation problem? Dave Walsh. No, Steve, quite the opposite. They, they're kind of now coming to. They can't do anything about inflation. And they're right. They can't do anything about inflation as long as they're on a path to right after the um, the uh, SCOTUS ruling here. You can't quite see them. The Knox regulations now, they're pushing forward on coal-fired generation to completely end that in this country. Pursuing, yes, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia of oil in the U.S., the Permian Basin on Knox emissions coming out of the wells there cutting production in the Gulf, in Alaska, and then the pipelines we've talked about the last few days, standing firmly with the green movement on blocking all of them. So no, you you can't control inflation while you concurrently make decisions to stifle the nation's energy supply. You can't have it both ways. So yeah, inflation is going to be out of control, and they're moving in the in the right direction of acknowledging they can't do anything about it as long as they're going to limit our country's energy supply. And then last week in an op-ed, uh, Granholm starts talking about cutting off LNG exports. Well, if you want to take another step in the direction of stifling production, that's a path to take. We, As I've said, we can do both. If we free up the okay. pipelines, free up fracking in places like New York, we, we, can solve, we can solve our energy issues, which are at the core of this inflation and recession. And in the UK, it's worse. To, show, worse. You the, the, to show you the power of this show in, in Dave Walsh. Because he's an executive that just cuts to the chase. We had him on a couple of days ago to talk about the UK. He starts going through and says, hey, they ain't seen anything yet. Now, that's all the media is talking about over there. Because they're looking over the other side of the hill or where these radical Green New Deal policies are leading them. And that's to the destruction of the country. They said today, I think it was Borsa, in an interview, the energy, let me repeat this. There's on NPR, the energy and Infowars picked it up too. the energy crisis in the United Kingdom is going to dwarf the financial crisis of 2008. The same thing's going to happen here. Here, we're going to have this energy crisis is going to be the one of the major causes of a financial collapse. Let me repeat that a financial collapse. And if we keep screwing around with this. It's only going to get worse every day, and you're going to get to a point that you can't pull it back, that it will take decades to reverse this. Let me play the clip. Let me bring in Brat from the Dean of the Business School of Liberty. Hang on a second, Dave. I'm coming right back to you. Play the clip from uh, Jackson Hole. I want to, He used the V word. Let me hear it. During the 1970s, as inflation climbed, the anticipation of high inflation became entrenched in the economic decision-making of businesses and households. The more inflation rose, the more people came to expect it to remain high, and they built that belief into wage and price decisions. As former Chairman Paul Volcker put it at the height of the great inflation in 1979, 
Inflation feeds in part on itself. So part of the job of returning to a more stable and more productive economy must be to break the grip of inflationary expectations. One useful insight into how actual inflation may affect expectations about its future path is based in the concept of rational inattention. When inflation is persistently... Let me have it. Um, We started the clip with a year and a half ago. We started talking about this. We started using the V word early on about Volcker, about being a hawk. As these namby-pamby people kicked the can down the road, and here's where we are today. They're jammed up with limited options. Dave Bratt, you heard it today. He comes in. We talked about what labor has to pay for, what capital has to pay for. It looks like they came down the side of of at least supporting labor and the fact that they're going to try to ring this. They use Volcker, which, by the way, Dave Bratt did the calculation on the show two months ago. If Paul Volcker was there, they, the interest rates would be a seven and a half percent, not at what a couple of percent. It'd be a real interest rate, be seven and a half percent. But that's what a hawk would do. Dave Brett, what did you think of uh, Jay Powell's uh, pronouncements from Jackson Hole, Wyoming today? Well, he, he said all the right things, but, you know, I'm fairly cynical on this uh, political business cycle. So we'll see how long it lasts. Right. So he's going to try to uh, take a firm stand. And as, as soon as he said today that we're not at neutral. Uh, that's when the markets took off uh, red. Go out to finviz.com. You can see the whole market's red down 3% across all of them today. So we're not at neutral. So that, that was the first time he's acknowledged uh, this transitory thing is done. Uh, that's kind of a joke. They totally goofed. Uh, we're not at neutral, which means they're going to take serious medicine not going forward. And the big thing people got to recognize is that we do have pain. He mentioned that word over and over and over. But I don't think he, uh, he he did not explain the nature of the pain. Uh, we've been at zero percent, right? Our, our economic regime is addicted to zero percent funds rate and free money for 10 years in a row. That's going to take a long time to break that addiction, right? So all the real economy we always talk about, uh, productivity and doing real business and all that, they're used to capital markets are used to that zero percent interest. Uh, that's all done today. And so then you heard him go off into PhD talk on expectations, and that's real. So they still don't want to mention headline inflation at eight and a half, nine percent. So they're talking about core PCE after you strip out energy and food, which are yeah. the highest parts of the CPI, which is everything. So, hang on, when yeah, he said neutral, right. yeah, don't skim some inside yeah. baseball. When he said neutral, what he's saying yeah. is no more. The signal there's not just about rates, but it's also about juicing the system. Yeah. No more. Yeah quantitative easing, no more liquidity through the, through the balance sheet of the Fed. He's telling them the party's yeah. over and we've taken the punch balls. Basically, is that what he meant by yeah. saying neutral? And yeah. as soon as he said it, yeah. markets tanked, right? Is that is that the me- mechanics of this? Yeah, yeah. no, that's it. And, and neutral means the whole regime, right? And so yesterday when I was on your show, we were talking about, you know, all the economists are still saying, well, we're about right. The Fed's still got it right because they're trying to balance unemployment and inflation and whatever. And the balancing act came to an end today, right? So the unemployment, everybody knows the, yeah. the pain uh, for the and income distribution uh, will be in the headlines tomorrow, right? That they're going to put a nice soft coat on this, that they're doing this for the poor, uh, yeah. which is true. That's fine. Yeah. But it's like, finally, you, you finally realize what Ten percent. What do you mean they're doing it for the poor? They're screwing the poor. They're screwing the poor in this country every day. 
Any person under yeah. 35 years old, you're getting hosed every day. And here's what's going to happen. Yeah. Your credit cards are going to explode. The car repossessions are going up. You're late on your mortgage. You're late on your, your rent. Wages are going down. 50% of the CEOs yesterday said in a survey, we're going to start the layoffs within six months to a year. If you're under 35 years old, you're not, you don't own anything and you're not going to own anything. And pal just told you, get ready to go into middle age like that. This is going to be a debacle. And here's why. They haven't cut to the problem of the energy crisis in this country. The natural gas is going to explode up to 12 or 15 bucks. And hey, you wait. They're going to, everybody's been cutting off their air conditioning. It's going to be a long, cold winter. Hang on for a second. Uh, Dave Walsh, is anything I said there about energy incorrect, sir, from your position as a professional? No, it's totally correct. We can do things with interest rates, but until we address the core inflationary causal thing going on here, which is energy, is right now all about energy and the ability to produce more of it cost effectively, all these, these actions won't really take effect meaningfully until we free up. I mean, for example, in this delinquency issue, PG&E, ratepayers in California up 40% delinquency. PSE&G in New Jersey up 30%. Why is that happening in those states, in those regions? Yeah, California is hey. our third highest electricity cost state already because of these policies. New Jersey's the 11th highest to begin with. And now we've got massive frequency. I'm going to leave you this. 20 million households in this country. Yeah. Bloomberg's report, you have a tsunami of people getting their power cut off. Let me repeat that. 20 million homes. We only have 100 million households in the country. 20% of the nation is about to be cut off. This is how third world countries program their energy that 15 to 18% never going to pay. That's where the United States is. Dave Walsh, real Dave, quickly, what's your, what's your uh, getter so people can get you? Just a quick thing. The UK in 2005 was 70% self-sufficient on natural gas internally. 70%. Today, 30%. Just saying. That's why rates are going Disgusting. through the roof there. They... they uh, NIMBY, don't do it here in cars. my backyard. Uh, Important. It's uh, at Dave Walsh Energy on Gary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Great. Hey, uh, Brett, how do people uh, get to you on uh, Getter? Because I know you're putting stuff up all weekend. Yeah, yeah. I'll be putting this up today. Brat Economics at Getter. What Dave's saying, now, you can excuse a lot of uh, errors when you've got $9 trillion in funny money on the Fed uh, balance sheet and $5 trillion in fiscal stimulus. Now that's all going bye-bye. And now you're going to see Dave Walsh land appear on the supply side. Energy's up 40%. It hits every, every aspect of business. It's going to get hit. The real, uh, the real yeah. price system and free markets are going to tell the real story. We're, we're going to be live tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, go through all this. Every easy decision in this country is behind us. When the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who's so weak to begin with, uses the word pain about 50 times in his talk today from Jackson Hole, trust me. The pain's coming. The question is, who's going to be on the receiving end tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock live in the war room?